Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Whether you grew up reading the Harry Potter series or now read the books to your children, the fantasy has attracted millions of fans worldwide. We want to hear from you. What drew you to these books and what does the series mean to you today? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page and find us on Twitter at Where We Live. There's no doubt this multi-billion dollar franchise is a permanent part of our pop culture, The seven-book series has spawned films. The first film, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, came out 20 years ago. And then there, of course, are amusement parks, all kinds of merchandise, and also a genre of music. Have you heard of Wizard Rock? Coming up, we talk to a Connecticut singer-songwriter and the wizard rocker behind Ashley Tricks and the Wizards. That's later. First, there's a worldwide community of Harry Potter fans, like members of the nonprofit Fandom Forward. And while we wait to hear from our guest, uh, Katie Bowers, uh, again, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. The number 888-720-9677 about uh, this series. You know, I didn't grow up reading the series, but I remember it came out when I I was in college. And I remember reading uh, the books, uh, devouring them over uh, the the time that it took for each book to come out. Uh, Coming up, we're also going to hear from a local member of Fandom Forward, a woman based in New Haven. And uh, later, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking to someone who's a wizard rocker. So we're waiting to hear from Katie Bowers, and uh, hopefully we'll be hearing from her soon here on the show. Our phone lines are open, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live again on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. We had a tech glitch at the start of our show. Uh, now joining us on the phone is Katie Bowers, who's co-managing director of Fandom Forward, formerly known as the Harry Potter Alliance. Katie, can you hear me? 
Yes, I can. Hi there. Thanks so much uh, for joining us on the phone. And I mentioned Fandom Forward, but before we get there and you talk about this uh, worldwide community of fans and uh, the activism uh, that they're involved in, when were you, when did you first read the Harry Potter series and, and how did these stories impact you, Katie? Oh, gosh, yeah. I was 11 years old, just like Harry, when I first read the books. Um and read them all throughout my sort of adolescence as they were coming out and I was growing up. Um, and, I mean, they've had a huge impact on me. I have gotten to meet a huge community of friends who are fans of the book and fans of uh, things that the book's have inspired that I know we're going to talk about today. Um, there are just lots and lots of people in my life that are just wonderful friends that I never would have met, I don't think, otherwise. And so um, it's had a huge influence on uh, on my life and my career. And um, yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting to hear you mention that you read, started reading the books when you were 11, just like Harry. And, and as mm-hmm. the books were coming out, uh, when we think about how uh, fans were able uh, to get connected, when we think about how the Internet was used at the time, can you talk about that role in growing this uh, worldwide fan community? Yeah, absolutely. The explosion of the internet and the explosion of Harry Potter are really, really closely linked together um, because it was one of the first things that was really able to build a international fan community on the internet where we were theorizing about, like, what comes next? Like, People were people would you know read the books, see the movies, and then hop online and be theorizing with people about what different clues meant. They would be writing fan fiction that was imagining what the next installment of the series would be. Writing fan fiction that was imagining uh, the backstory and history of the characters that was leading them to make the decisions they were making in the story as it was coming out. Um, and it was really a a huge, like, just creative playground and, like, place for people to connect with folks all over the world who have different experiences and different understandings of language and different understandings of uh, meanings and behaviors and it was just a really like fascinating and interesting place to all be having this sort of uh, shared experience of of being a part of figuring out what was happening in a story that we love. And now people get to do that all the time for everything that comes out, which is amazing. Um, but at the time, it was a pretty pretty new and interesting thing to be a part of. 
And what does it mean to be a member of Fandom Forward today? Because uh, beyond just uh, this connection with the book and uh, this connection with people all over the world, uh, the emphasis on you know being the change in your community and how that's part of, of this uh, group, Katie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have members all over the world who participate in all different ways. And the idea is that we turn fans into heroes, right? So you can be uh, a heroic person who is making change in your community, who is working with your friends to really uh, fight for justice in your community, to learn about what are the big issues that are directly impacting your community and how can you be a part of um, learning that story and uh, making a stand for justice. Um, And so folks participate in all kinds of different ways. We have folks who are individual members who might participate in campaigns we run online, which can be anything from like advocacy stuff of like, making phone calls, writing letters, uh, you know, talking to elected officials, uh, to folks who are doing sort of more creative work and doing, like, new representations of people in stories, of doing uh, stories and creative writing and making art or making music, uh, focusing on including queer people in stories, including people of color in these stories, and writing like new kinds of stories. Um, And then there are also people that uh, participate as part of our chapters. And so we have chapters that are based in mostly in schools and libraries, but there are also community groups. uh, And they do all kinds of projects uh, ranging from sort of more charity-focused initiatives. Uh, We have a campaign that we do pretty much every year called Accio Books that is about Uh, collecting and donating books to communities and programs in need um, to more sort of justice-focused initiatives. Uh, We have um, a chapter that works every year with uh, Books Through Bars and talking about different forms of prison abolition and uh, reform and also, you know, folks who are very engaged in in immigrant justice and attending protests and trying to advocate for the rights of immigrants in their communities. We work on a huge array of issues and use a huge array of methods. And so um, if folks are interested in the idea of using fandom for social good, there's probably a way that they can fit in with us. Again, you're hearing Katie Bowers here on Where We Live. She's co-managing director of Fandom Forward, formerly known as the Harry Potter Alliance, as we talk about this series uh, that so many have been attracted to, whether they were growing up and reading those books or now reading them to their children. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, Katie, I mentioned that this series has captured fans worldwide, uh, but uh, there's author J.K. Rowling's. Uh, controversial comments and uh, support Mm -hmm. 
starting back in 2019, uh, first with the support of a, a UK researcher who made transphobic statements. Uh, Rowling has retweeted uh, controversial posts about the transgender community, later even writing her own essay on gender, which led to backlash and criticism from fans. And so with all of that context, can you talk about uh, the name change? Because um, before Fandom Forward, your group was known as the Harry Potter Alliance. And, and how much of that name change was related to what J.K. Rowling's uh, commentary was about transgender people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Her comments and actions are doing an incredible amount of harm and really helping to fuel uh, this movement that we're seeing across the U.S. and the U.K. and other parts of the world uh, really targeting transgender people. And that is something that we take really seriously and do not want to stand by. Um, As an organization, we have been talking about a name change. We were founded in 2005, and we know we have been talking about a name change since at least 2010, because we can look back in meeting notes and from the time and see them. Um, But we had always just sort of continually... Uh, kicked it down the road and known it was something we wanted to do eventually, but the name was so fun and so sort of attention-grabbing when people hear it. And so we just, you know, sort of knew for a long time that we were working in uh, fandoms that weren't Harry Potter. We had done campaigns in The Hunger Games and Superman and Marvel and a couple other places. Um, And So we knew we wanted to change the name, but we kept sort of hanging on to it. And when she really ramped up her her comments, it was just sort of one, one more very good reason to make a change that we had been talking about for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Because an important thing to recognize about the organization, too, is that it is a very, very queer organization. Uh, About 50% of our members identify as LGBTQ. Uh, About 10% of our members are trans, uh, which is pretty high compared to the general population. And that like it's a really huge important part of our community and it was something that we really wanted to be open about just sort of having a conversation about what do you all want to do like what should we do as a community when the thing that we love about these stories, right? We love, we, of course, we love the stories. We love the whimsy behind them. We love the heroics. We love the characters. But a huge, huge part of what people who are in this community love is not necessarily the books themselves, but everything that has spun out of them, of the community of people that the fandom is, of the things that have been created, all of the different, you know, uh, musicals and conventions and concerts and artwork and other stories that have been inspired by this. Um, and so it's a real uh, conversation around how do we honor all of the things that we love while also um, 
being being open and holding people accountable for the harm that has been done. Um, and and yeah, so like all of that, it's a conversation that's been happening for over ten years. But you know the this the actions the actions and words of the author are definitely something that um, gave it the final push forward to really pursue that name change. So and it and it sounds like the members of uh, now fandom forward uh, were were supportive of the name change. Tell us more about you know, the feedback you got. Yeah. Um, so it was a, we, at the, at the point when we initiated this, we had been organizing for 15 years. And so we were very, very conscious of um, this is an organization that a, a lot of people have uh, filtered through over the years. And also by nature of like the kind of organizing we do, there are a tremendous amount of people who started organizing with us when they were like 14 and now they are adults. And that this has been a very important part of, um, uh, of their process of becoming who they are. And so we really wanted... Um, the process of the name change to be something that we were very open with people and really having a lot of input and discussion. Um, so we did a a ton of reaching out to members and partners and chapter organizers and everybody else. Um, all told, we ended up uh, having input either through conversations or surveys or um, other, you know, mechanisms. Uh, with over a thousand people and we were asking like one do you want us to change the name Two, like what do you want the name to be 99% of that over a thousand people said yes yes we want to change the name it's time um, so that was you know really reassuring <laughs> And uh, and then the actual name change process, um, about 70% of people picked something that had uh, the Phantom Forward name in it because that was an existing project that we had been doing. It was something that a lot of people uh, recognized. Um, and so, yeah, it was the whole process was very supportive. And it was also, um, I think, for for us and for a lot of our members was a little bit of a cathartic process because we were getting to have these conversations around, I really loved this thing and I really find this community to be a safe space and I'm really, um, you know, hurt and concerned by what it what is happening and, and I'm concerned about the world. I'm concerned about uh, my safety or the safety of my transgender friends. I, um, and I really want to also hold on to this thing that I love, even if it seems silly to other people. I want to find a way to hold on to this community I've built and these friends that I've met through this story. And, um, I think, I think it was a cathartic process for a lot of people to be able to, sort of worked through that stuff um, as a group a little bit. 
Let's talk more about uh, what you shared with us. Um, I, I saw a, a quote from Daniel Radcliffe, who obviously played Harry Potter uh, in the mm-hmm. films, uh, you know, obviously condemning uh, um, and what J.K. Rowling had said about the transgender community, but also saying, I wanted just to read this here, to all the people who now feel that their experience of the books has been tarnished or diminished, I'm deeply sorry for the pain these comments have caused you. And I really hope that you don't entirely lose what was valuable in these stories to you. That's something that you just spoke about, Katie. So can you talk more about, um, you know, there's such a dissonance between what J.K. Rowling has tweeted and said uh, about uh, transgender people with uh, the, the themes that you that you were able to draw out from the book about inclusivity, about acceptance. Uh, uh, can you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. I think that these books were particularly powerful to us when we read them. I think they still have powerful themes in them. I honestly cannot speak to what is in the mind of the author and the choices she's making. I don't I don't understand it because it does seem um different from a lot of the lessons that a lot of us have taken away from those stories. I think that a lot of the stories that we hold dear, um, beyond Harry Potter, but like everybody has something that they're a big fan of. And I think a lot of these heroic stories are really based on um, a lot of morals that we hold to be kind of basic to uh, to what humans should do around uh, kindness and support for friends and having community. And I think that there are lots of ways that I think there's a lot I think there's a lot of things that we know like in the very basic like the way we're supposed to behave as humans and there are a lot of ways that we end up falling short of that um and in the process doing a tremendous amount of harm and so I think like I think there are still ways to take uh to take lessons from these books and to take lessons from a lot of the stories that we love and also acknowledge that harm has been done by people who financially benefit from us, you know, buying the books or buying the movies or anything and being able to like have an open conversation that is um, sort of acknowledging that and thinking about how do we want to continue consuming do like one, do we want to continue consuming this content period? Do we think it's um, worthwhile still to engage with this stuff? And lots of people are going to decide no, and that's fine. Um, And they, they should follow that. If folks decide, yeah, I still want to engage with it. um, Especially folks who are, parents now and who are reading it to their kids, I think it's worth thinking about how are you going to engage with it, right? Are you going to um, 
be purchasing a new copy versus can you get it from the library, which is great because then it supports the library. <laughs> um, is, you know, are you going to have a conversation with your kids about um, sort of the difference in the morals you're grabbing from the story and the action that uh, the author took later in life. And I think it's also like important to acknowledge that Welch, the author is doing a particular kind of harm uh, and a very specific kind of harm that is uh, particularly critical at this time in history. Um, all of these stories that we share as a culture, these really like mass popular stories that lots and lots and lots of people love and that we can build sort of a cultural understanding and shared experience around are also stories that are owned by multi-millionaire, multi-billionaire corporations that we know are doing harm in uh, all kinds of different ways. And I think that like that's a conversation worth having over and over again because we're currently living in a system where the stories that we use to make meaning that are super, super important to like how we understand the world as human beings are also controlled um, by people who are doing a tremendous amount of harm. And that's actually one of the reasons that I really enjoy a lot of what has come out of the Harry Potter community, but also lots of other big fan communities of people creating their own kind of art and people writing fan fiction and people creating music and people creating um, uh, different kinds of fan art because it is like it's kind of the new folk art, right? It is the reclaiming by the people of, uh, of these stories and cultural myths. And I think it's... Um, it's fun to engage with. It feels like, oh, like I'm watching a silly TikTok video or I'm like going to a, a storybook concert at the library or something. But you really are participating in something that has been uh, the work of the work of human beings for as long as we've been wandering around the planet, which is, you know, taking stories and remaking them. And Katie, I'm glad you mentioned music because coming up, we're going to be hearing from a <laughs> Connecticut native who is a wizard rocker. My guest today, Katie Bauer, is co-managing director of Fandom Forward. This is a global fan community that focuses on activism and supports a variety of causes. Coming up, we're going to talk with another member of Fandom Forward from Connecticut about the Harry Potter series. And we want to hear from you. When did you read these, this, these books and what did it mean to you or your children today? Our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Today we're talking about the Harry Potter series and the meaning that uh, readers take from these books today. With us on Zoom is Katie Bowers, co-managing director of Fandom Forward. And joining us now, uh, I'm sorry, on the phone, is Abigail Page, who's a volunteer manager of leadership and education at Fandom Forward. She's based in New Haven. Uh, Abby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So Katie did a great job explaining Fandom Forward, this uh, worldwide community of fans. So what's your role with the group and what drew you to it? So I work in the leadership and education department. I sort of oversee a lot of the different aspects of our um, events planning, our uh, Wizard Activist School, which is an exciting um, sort of online fan rallying community and our toolkits and our chapters and things like that. And um, what drew me to the community, I've been aware of what was then the Harry Potter Alliance for a long time. Um, But really, it was the impact of the 2016 election that made me want to start doing something more active um, to help the world become a better place. I had asked uh, Katie Bowers earlier to talk about uh, the meaning that people still draw from the books, uh, uh, despite uh, what the author J.K. Rowling has said uh, about uh, the transgender community um, and how there has been this dissonance. And and I'm wondering if you can talk about that and how you've uh, reconciled that uh, as someone who was drawn to the books at at a young age. Yeah. um Yeah. So something that I always say that you learn in when you're getting a literature degree is that authorial intent is irrelevant to meaning. So no matter what J.K. Rowling intended with the books, what I get out of that, out of the books, is the most important thing. And what I get out of the books is um, the feeling of friendship and the the idea that you have to stand up for yourself and for other folks who are less fortunate than you and you have to listen to people and you have to um, build them up so um, at the same time obviously in the age of Twitter like authorial intent is not negligible like like Katie has said JK Rowling has caused a lot of harm and real people are allowed to feel real feelings about that. Um, but we can um, take what we see in the story and we can use that for good without reference to the author. Mm. So um, we're getting a call from a listener who wants to know more about what the author, J.K. Rowling, has said. Uh, And so I wanted to just um, paraphrase this, but Rowling has been very careful about the controversial comments she's made. She's been resistant to being called transphobic, but she has relentlessly questioned the, quote, phenomenon of trans youth. She's voiced deep concerns about, quote, the consequences of the current trans activism. And these are all quotes from an essay she published on her website in June of 2020. And I did read a little bit of Daniel Radcliffe, who played Harry Potter's statement after that essay was published by J.K. Rowling. Uh, 
also Emma Watson and Rupert Grint, uh, all releasing statements in support of trans lives. But Rowling has continued her questioning and commentary on Twitter. And so I just wanted to just make sure that that's clear and, and also to ask you, Abby, um, you know, and also Katie, uh, to add to that uh, for listeners who may be confused uh, with, you know, the controversy surrounding what she has said. Abby, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, I think for me, as a cisgender person, so someone who is not trans, the effect of J.K. Rowling's words is more important to me than what she's actually said. So, like, the idea of allyship is decentering the self and centering the marginalized people. So the marginalized people in this case are our trans friends. And um, by listening to transgender folks, you can see that they're hurting from what A.K. Rowling has said. And so we have to support them. I have no idea what it's like to be a trans person. So I'm going to listen to my friends who are trans and I am going to do whatever I can to give them what they need. So for me, it's more the effect of what J.K. Rowling has said rather than what she has said herself, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, you mentioned your role with Fandom Forward, but our listeners should know you also wrote your dissertation uh, looking at uh, white saviorism in the Harry Potter series. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, so my dissertation sort of discussed representations of race and white saviorism in Harry Potter and the Hunger Games and how those representations challenge the messages of equity on which both series were ostensibly based. So like we know that in Harry Potter, there's a lot of talk about blood status and um, pure bloods tend to be associated with whiteness, right? And so, um, but Harry is um, a half-blood. He's in between the two. And sort of the ways that he comes in, swoops in and saves the muggle-borns or the um, quote-unquote mudbloods um, Etc. So yeah, it's a it's a complex conversation for sure, and I barely scratched the surface with my dissertation, but um, it's something that I think a lot about for sure. Mm. Uh, when uh, we look back at you know again what drew people to these books, I understand that you read uh, the first book when you were in kindergarten. Wow, uh, Abby, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's something. And so uh, now that you're an adult and rereading these books, I'm uh, just wondering, you know, how you approach this series today. Mm, good question. So I definitely read it um, differently now obviously. I would say that I am much more in tune with the sort of microaggressions within the novel. So I will cling to the things that I love about the book. I will cling to the message that the weapon we have is love. I will cling to the idea of standing by your friends until the very end. I will cling to the ideas of equity. But I will also like recognize the aspects of the book that, you know, when my nephews are older and they're reading the book, 
I'm going to maybe sit down and have a conversation about with them. Like Hermione starts this um, organization called the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare without um, seeing what they need, the house elves need. Um, Renietta Lodge actually says that Hermione, when she creates you, the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare, um, is, quote, a well-meaning but guilty-feeling white liberal taking on a social justice cause with gusto without ever really consulting the views and feelings of the people she is fighting for. So is that allyship? It isn't, really. She's not listening. She's not lifting up their voices. She's telling them what they want, right? So that's something that I would have a conversation with younger people about and, and um and with adults, really, like, because we we all are learning about allyship as we continue to grow as a society. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you for yeah, explaining that well. for us. <laughs> uh, Katie Bowers, did I hear you? Did you want to respond? Yeah. I mean, the house elves, this is, I don't want to go too far down the tangent, but this is also like, um, the house elves play into a lot of like happy slave stereotypes too. Mm-hmm. And that's another conversation that like is worth having with young people and with other fans when we're talking about understanding the history um, of the United States in particular. Um, obviously, these books were written by a British author, and so it's uh, a slightly different history, but um, there's a lot. There's a lot in them to unpack, and there's a lot um, in in any story to, like, not just be reading the story, but to be reading the story and having real conversations about the issues they bring up and how can we... Um, how can we use those things to understand our world better and to fight for our world to be better? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I just, uh, I don't know. I don't want to go too far down that tangent, but just wanted to bring that up. Well, thank you, Katie Bowers, again, co-managing director of Fandom Forward. And Abby Page uh, was here, volunteer manager of leadership and education at Fandom Forward. Abby lives in New Haven. Thank you, Abby, for your time today here on the show. Thank you so much. We wanted to take some time to talk about, um, again, how this series has uh, led people uh, down uh, different creative paths, including uh, a different genre of music. After the break, we're going to talk to a Connecticut singer-songwriter. Ashley Hamill is a wizard rocker. This is Ashley Tricks and the Wizards.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There's rock and then there's wizard rock. Turns out New Englanders were pioneers of wizard rock. The indie rock band Harry and the Potters, they came together in Norwood, Massachusetts in the early 2000s. Now, wizard rock and its lyrics take inspiration from the Harry Potter series. We invited a wizard rocker from Connecticut onto the show. Ashley Hamill, again, is a singer-songwriter from our state and the wizard rocker behind Ashley Tricks and the Wizards. Ashley, welcome to our show. Hello, yes, thank you so much for having me. So you grew up in Connecticut. Uh, tell us about how, what, you, what drew you to the Wizard Rock community. Yeah, so I mean, I had been uh, playing guitar and writing songs since high school, which was also the time that I read the books, of course. So when I saw Harry and the Potters at um, New Britain Public Library in 2006, um, it kind of planted a seed. Uh, later on, I met my friend Emma Bryce at UConn, and we started a band called Bella and the Strangers, and uh, we did a lot of touring. We wrote a ton of kind of evil, mean <laughs> wizard rock songs, uh, and then ever since then, I've been keeping it going, uh, writing my own stuff and developing my own solo projects and releasing my album WZRD as well. So that uh, album was released in 2019. There was a, a bonus track titled Being Here With You Tonight. Uh, and again, this is a really beautiful song. I wanted to play it for our listeners. Here it is. From Providence to Connecticut From Cary to Renaissance Ashley, what a beautiful song. I mentioned that Wizard Rock takes inspiration from the Harry Potter series. So tell us about the lyrics, including that line, she told us love is a weapon. Who's she? Yes. Well, you know, we were talking about J.K. Rowling at the time. Um, we kind of held her to such a hero status, you know. Um, and, you know, things have changed since then. But thank you for playing that song. It really brings me back and it really is just a testament to the community that we built um, that Katie and Abby were talking about how you know these are people that we met in real life and so the wizard rock was the place where we would meet right so the Harry Potter community and fandom kind of grew up on the internet and yet you need to have I, th I think you need to have some kind of 
um, real life on the ground experience with people, seeing their faces, you know, touching them, dancing with them. We're kind of feeling the effects of the pandemic right now, where, right, where we can't get together. Wizard Rock was that point for us to get together and meet in person. People would travel for hours through blizzards. We drove through many blizzards, got into a few car accidents to get to Wizard Rock shows around the region. And so really, uh, it was a placeholder for people to come, which live music always is. And so I'm so glad that we got to, to I, that I got to be a part of that and to provide that, you know, space for people to gather through music and Harry Potter, two things I really love. And when you say uh, places to gather, so we're talking public library concerts, Ashley? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, libraries uh, in the later years, in between like 2014, 15, up until 2019, yeah, um, we were doing festivals. So the whole downtown of a, of a city uh, would, you know, kind of shut down and all of the stores would decorate, um, you know, in the Harry Potter Wizarding World. And so everyone would be in costume uh, and then we would be, you know, the pub players <laughs> playing the hog's head. I've played the hog's head <laughs> as the <laughs> wizard rock band. So, yeah, we played a lot of cool things like that. With some butterbeer on the side. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, so you've been talking about uh, Wizard Rock again. Uh, your band was called Ashley Tricks and the Wizards. But, uh, you know, tell us uh, what your connection uh, to the series is now. I understand you're now doing a solo music career in Indonesia. So is this a, a chapter that you've closed or there's still it's still open in some way? You know, it was the community that raised me as a as a person and as a musician you know i really wasn't uh raised to believe that i could do music um, even though i had such passion and, and skill and talent and so to find the the you know these book nerds who were all gathering together and to write songs and play for them and bring my music it just increased my musicianship so much um, to now we're the point there's not as many shows going on um, of course, it's kind of, you know, um, it's still alive and active and there's still so many great people who are writing songs. The thing that I've loved about this community is it's just creativity, just unbridled. There's it's such a low, uh, you know, easy access point. We welcome, we support anyone who can just write a song, a parody, a rap. It's all good. And so now I've taken all of that beautiful experience. And yes, I, I've kind of uh, jumped over to Asia uh, where I have family and uh, I'm, I'm pursuing music out here now. So I'm still in contact and those people are, you know, it's my home, it's my home team. I'm always going to be a wizard rocker, even when there's no more shows, uh, that's still gonna be a part of me forever. Harry Potter is forever. <laughs> and that's why we're so reluctant to uh, let it go and to um, let the current trends or the fact that it's, you know, very much run by a corporation and J.K. Rowling herself has turned against the fans um, quite directly. And we're still not letting go because we have such passion and such love for each other and the things that it inspired from. Yeah. Mm. 
That's really lovely. And when you say that you're still in touch uh, with the Wizard, Wizard Rockers uh, back in the States, uh, what do you talk about? Is it just about life in general or you think back to that time when you were all together playing music in this way? Yeah, you know, I do think there's a strong element of nostalgia, of course, for a lot of the millennials. I'm, it's not just millennials, of course, who who love Harry Potter, but yeah, that nostalgia is kind of a part of the culture. So now, you know, it's kind of turning to nostalgia for the times we did get together. However, there's still incredible podcasts being made, incredible new songs. Uh, right now, there's a, a website called the Wizrocklopedia that's putting out new compilations four times a year of completely new wizard rock songs from all over the world with different themes. Um, so, yeah, we talk about what's, you know, what people are making. Um, and then also, yeah, just kind of stay in touch personally, uh, sometimes going back into the annals of memory of those times we shared together as well, of course. Ashley Hamill, again, is a singer-songwriter from Connecticut, now living in Indonesia. Her wizard rock band was Ashley Tricks and the Wizards. We're going to play more. still. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's uh, good to talk with you from Indonesia. We wanted to play a little more of your band's music before we head to break. Ashley, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Tell 